So it, it seems that one of the biggest events that we've witnessed in the past week, particularly on May 14, is uh, the, the same day as, as Israel's Independence Day, uh, is the day that uh, Trump followed through on the move of the embassy from Tel Aviv in Israel to Jerusalem in Israel. And it's very exciting. And this is a promise that uh, finally has been carried through over literally decades after the promise that such a move would happen. Right. And I believe it was 1996 or so. That 1995, there was a, they passed five. the law. Okay. Yes. So a bipartisan bill uh, that passed the law, it, I think it was like 92 to 5 or something with a couple of abstentions. It was, it was pretty good. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's a really massively popular bill. And they were sending the signal, hey, we support Israel, and the, the embassy should move to Jerusalem. And uh, Clinton didn't have the huevos to actually follow through on it, uh, not, notwithstanding the fact that he signed that very bill. Uh, then, of course, uh, Bush uh, Jr. did not have the huevos to follow through on it, notwithstanding his uh, rhetoric that he supported that move as well. Then Obama, of course, did not have the huevos nor the desire <laughs> to do it, notwithstanding his rhetoric that he would uh, move the embassy as well. Here comes Donald Trump, and he you know, provides the rhetoric saying, we need to move the embassy from Tel Aviv to, to Jerusalem. And he does it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> let's, not, let's not get carried away here, folks. <laughs> we, we just meant that this bill should be passed, but it, it makes us feel good. But you're actually going to go through with it? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I'm going to do because it's the right thing to do. And you know what? This is what American policy has been for literally decades. And even before that 1995 bill, there was talk about moving the embassy and that, that it was the wrong thing to have the embassy in a place which was not the capital of the country it, it involved. Very simple. So, so inst okay, so we, we carry through it. It's a very momentous uh, time in Israel, and, it, and I think a momentous time in America as well. And American Jews should be embracing this, right? And a lot of them are, by the way. A lot of Democrats who are registered Democrats who are Jewish are celebrating this. They're very excited about this. I, I, I belong to the board uh, of Jewish National Fund. Half of the group is, is liberal, half of it is, is conservative. Um, and I can tell you that with, with great a confidence that most of even the Democratic Jews there su supported this move, and they were very happy about it, and they had tears in their eyes and such. Great. But there's so many people, uh, Jewish and not, who, who really uh, malign this move, and they say so because, well, you know, it's going to provoke the Palestinians, and we dare not act in, in a way that might provoke the, uh, the Palestinians, especially in Gaza, because, you know, that would be bad. And, uh, and, and never, mind, never mind that Hamas is actually throwing people to the fence and trying to agitate as much as possible to get for political PR, right? This is, this is what they do. They call for a day of rage. And we're supposed to gear our entire foreign policy. I'm talking about America now. We're supposed to gear our entire foreign policy on the grounds that it might bother somebody. Never mind that it's right, right? I mean, I, I, why not say, for example, that our presence in South Korea with all of our troops, we have a huge presence militarily there, is offensive to the Chinese and to the North Koreans for sure. Well, we, we wouldn't want to add more troops to that, you know, because they'll, they'll get upset, 
Since when have we ever done that? Since when have we uh, done foreign policy solely based upon raising the ire of somebody, even though it's the right thing for American interests, right? But when it comes to Israel, somehow that's what they do. So on Facebook and otherwise, I see all these uh, liberal Jews, and for that matter, a lot of uh, just lefties, generally speaking, they're complaining about this move from uh, Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, and they show these pictures of the, the Gazans, the, the Palestinians in Gaza, and that they're dying, and there's one woman pleading, and there's a baby who's dead, and which all are, are terrible things, right? So, you know, too bad you're the ones who instigated all this. These are problems that could have been utterly avoided had you decided not to do it, right? You guys killed these babies. You're crazy. It's like saying, it's like throwing, are you and I just crossing the street right now, and we decide that we're going to throw ourselves out in the street on a freeway, no less, and then complain that we get run over. We purposefully did it for the, for the purpose of getting attention, and then we dare say that the, the, the guy who ran us over did the wrong thing? No, this is, what, what do you expect? Anyway, uh, that, that's putting the Gaza situation there. They're very hot to trot about this move. And it's, it's really beyond my understanding because I would think that if I were against Trump at this point, and, and as a Jew or somebody who supported Israel, an evangelical Christian who, for some reason, would be Democrat, I would say, okay, you know what? This is a good move, but even a broken clock is right twice a day, Ari. That's, you know, that's what I would say if I were one of those people. Kind of like when um, Obama killed bin Laden. Right. Right, exactly. Good, good point. Like, okay, yeah, well, that's what he's supposed to do, but I'm glad he did it. And, yeah, I don't and care what parties for him. He did the right yeah, thing. Yeah, the, the, Bin Laden was a man who needed a little killing. Right. Okay? <laughs> so, we don't care who does it. Just right. do it. Yeah, just do it. So we're, we're not saying that he did the wrong thing by killing Bin Laden. That's a very good example. So, you know, you could say even a broken clock is right twice a day. But otherwise, he's a real schmuck, and I hate the way he tweets, and he's brash, and I hate the way he treats Melania, and, or all the other, or and he's a crook, and that he colluded with Russia. But you know what? And not only that, but he he's doing this Tel Aviv to Jerusalem embassy move because, you know, he's doing it to distract. And, and yes, we applaud him. It's the right thing to do. But that's a real distraction. You could say all those things, but you don't. Instead, you say that the move itself was a horrible policy decision. It's wrong. It'll, it'll inflame the Middle East. Unnecessarily provocative. Provocative. Right? Yeah, That's there you the go. term yes. they use. Uh, it's, it's so fascinating. Now, it's very interesting how uh, one, of the, you know, one of the things, that this is a much bigger pullback now from, a, I guess, a 20,000, 30,000-foot view. You have noticed, Ari, that the Democratic Party over the decades, has really changed vis-a-vis Israel. He used to be supportive of Israel. Now, not so much. Okay? And the question, of course, is why. You'll recall in 2012, the DNC convention, the Democratic National Convention, they tried to have uh, Villaraigosa uh, amend their charter to make clear that they don't mind, that, that they want Jerusalem to be the eternal capital of Israel, and that God should be in their charter. Remember those two things? So Antonio Aviragosa, who's apparently running for governor, right? Uh, he, he's, he's he, the former mayor of Los Angeles. Right, former for those mayor. not from around. Right, right. Former, uh, good point. 
So he thinks, you know, he's one of these more old time Democrats. He's one of the more reasonable ones. And I put that in air quotes, but nevertheless, certainly more reasonable than, than let's say, Bernie Sanders. Yeah, he um, might believe lunatic things, but he tries to pretend he doesn't okay. for the sake of elections. Right. right? So, <laughs> so, but he goes up there, but he really thinks. Yes. He says, hey, we believe in God. We're, we're good with God in our charter. Let's put it. And he says with, a, with like an obvious smile, like this is going to pass no problem. <laughs> Who wants God back in our charter? And let's say with eyes, and there's like a few claps, and then how about the nays? And it's this overwhelming nay. They do not want want God in the charter. Like, okay, this is not this is not going as planned. Then he does the same thing with Israel. Uh, sorry, with Jerusalem being the capital of Israel, and uh, there's very few claps for it, and overwhelming nays against it. And Villaraigosa doesn't know what to do. He's got this look on his face. What the frig do I do? This was not going according to script. Okay? So, to his credit, Grossa says, the eyes have it. <laughs> and he just overrode them. He was allowed to override them. So he didn't do anything improper according to the, to the charter rules. But just imagine if we had like a Gary Newsom or um, uh, Hillary Clinton, for that matter. Uh, Antonio Villaraigosa at least did the right thing on, on, in this one way. And for that very reason, uh, as between Viragoso and Newsom, is it Newsom? Yeah. Uh, who's running for California government. There's only really two people running, right? I mean, who's the Republican running? There's, is there a Republican running? Well, interesting enough, it looks like one of the Republicans is going to make it in the second. Okay, well, wonderful. So if, we might actually have a choice this November. Right. If, if there is no choice and it's only between Newsom and, and Viragoso, my vote is for Viragoso. Uh, merely because he sounds like he's got some sense about him, um, and, and it's not just about Israel, by the way. If you are, if you have some sort of decency and common sense about Israel, it suggests that you might have some decency and common sense in, with regard to other issues. God help us all. Okay, that's that's my only hope. Okay, so let's put that aside. The question becomes: How is it that we came to this? How is it that the Democratic Party has turned so far left and so anti-Israel over these years? And I, I put it to you that the answer is twofold. One is that we, we don't have any standards anymore. Um, we are a country that is increasingly without God. And it's interesting, those two issues were presented at the same time because they're actually related. A, a country without God is ultimately going to be a country that doesn't give a crap about Jerusalem. And for that matter, uh, it will respond to any threats of violence by anybody. Right, the, the, a country without God is a country living in fear, and which has no strength whatsoever to do the right thing. Okay, that that's almost definitional. So, now comes the question: How is it that over the decades, what what was the defining moment that flipped the Democrats from being pro-Israel to being anti-Israel? Do you know? Because I know. I have my own opinion about it. Okay. My personal opinion is, I believe the year was 1993, and Clinton had, the year before, the 1992 elections, Clinton had run in the primary against Jerry Brown, and Jerry Brown made a tactical mistake in the primary by announcing that Jesse Jackson would be his running mate. Seeing the opportunity to solidify the Jewish vote in major cities, which was important for winning the Democrat primary, Clinton suddenly embraced the Jewish vote. 
and uh, started showing up with rabbis and everything else. And he, <laughs> he and it was yeah. leading up to the New York primary, and he won it. And uh, it, he also won the Florida primary, and the point is, cruised to the nomination. What he was concealing by by um, taking advantage of Brown's mis- strategic mistake was his wife's anti-Semitism. Because Hillary, as it turns out, has a lot of antipathy towards Jewish people. And in early 1993, Hillary Clinton announced her support for a future Palestinian state. And that was the first time any elected official in America ever uttered those words together. Yeah, no, I understand. So in my opinion... From the limited history for my particular age and following of politics, I observed that the Democrat Party's relationship with Israel went south at that moment. All right. So I think that was a uh, a storm within the storm. Uh, You're not wrong in terms of your describing how it tilted even further against Israel, but it was already against Israel before then, way before then. Even in the 90s that you're describing, this time period, uh, where Clinton took some advantage of getting the, the Jewish vote, that doesn't mean that the Democratic Party was staunchly behind Israel. It w- wasn't in the message of the Democratic Party whatsoever. They they paid lip service to it only because they wanted the Jewish vote and they wanted some Jewish influence and, to, to some extent, uh, money that often came with the power players in Hollywood and, and so forth. A lot of which, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of Jews in, in Hollywood. There's no doubt about that. And uh, also, Jews do very well in the country, and they're, they're big funders, George Soros being among them. Okay. The, it go, you have to go back as far as the Six-Day War, 1967. That was the defining moment where everything changed. Okay. And, and this will lead, actually, to Europe as well. In America, we were very supportive of Israel way before the Six-Day War. From, from independence in 1948 to 1967, America was super, super duper supportive. And here was this tiny country. We had suffered. The Jews had suffered so terribly in the Holocaust. Uh, 19 years in, you know, people are still very supportive of, of Jews and having their own country. And, and mind you, all this time... There are many Christians. There are, it's much more of a Christian country, much more God-fearing country is what I should say. Both America. Jew, America is, yeah. yeah. So people have this sense that, you know, yes, this is very important. This is God's mission. Uh, those who curse the Jews will be cursed, and those who bless the Jews will be blessed, and so forth. And so it, it all made sense. And even the Democratic Party had that sense. And the, the Democratic Party always felt that it was for the underdog, and the Jews were the underdog uh, until 1967. And the days leading up to the Six-Day War, uh, there was still this tremendous underdog sense about Israel. Then the Six-Day War happened. Without getting to the details of it, uh, Israel, despite tremendous odds against it, managed to flip this war uh, such that it ended up with uh, three times its, land, its previous land size mass, right? The Golan Heights were captured from Syria. The West Bank was captured from Jordan. Gaza was captured from Egypt. And the entire Sinai Peninsula was captured from Egypt at the same time. Leaving um, the, the Palestinians, what, what are now called Palestinians, in Gaza and the West Bank. And they suddenly 
became the underdog, you see. Suddenly, Israel was a powerhouse. Suddenly, Israel got respect. Now, this didn't happen overnight, by the way. My dad was the first Israeli soldier to come from the Six-Day War to America. And so they just glommed all over him. They, they had interviews of him. It was really wonderful. It was quite cool. Uh, very young, you know, very handsome, uh, beautiful wife, my mom. And uh, everything was, was really great. There's still this love of Israel. And then over the years, just a few years later, things started to change. In 1973, they discovered that America needed oil. And they discovered the power that they had with oil. The Arabs. The Arabs, yeah. And they started making demands upon America. And this is the time during the 60s and the 70s where people were beginning to question God. People were beginning to say, you know, America sucks. Then there's a whole Watergate scandal that started breaking, you know, bringing uh, the, the nation to its knees. Vietnam and all those things. And so there was a, a sort of a eroding of the American culture and what America was all about. And at the same time, they were saying, look, you know, we need oil. And why are we supporting this, this little country? They started doing some calculus. And they said, you know, calculations, I should say. These, these Arabs, there's a lot more Arabs than there are of, of Israel. And the Arabs give us oil. And Israel gives us nothing. Problems. You know, and so they perceive problems. And never mind all the technology and the medicines and the great culture and, and yeah, the democracy. Yeah, they used to say problems. And the, yeah. And the, so at the end of the day, you know, do we really need to support Israel? And even Nixon, who I'm no fan of, but at least Nixon got it right in terms of defending Israel during the Yom Kippur War, which happened in 1973. At the same time, at the same time, the, the Arabs started finding that they could, they, they really ramped up their terrorism. Terrorism really started in the early 70s, at least from the Palestinian slash Arab point of view. And they really terrified the Europeans especially. I told you I would get to Europe. And they did. And the Europeans started getting lambasted and destroyed and, and terrorized all the time for its support of Israel. France was very supportive of Israel. People forget that. Germany also and England, but, but especially France. And they started terrorizing the French and otherwise. They, they terror, you know, Air France jets, for example. We know in 1972 and 1976 and many other times. And eventually there became a detente that was a detente that was uh, reached between Europe on the one hand and Arabs on the other. They said, listen, we won't support Israel as much. Just stop terrorizing us. And that's what happened. Munich was a good example of what, what happened there. And it was this delicate detente that they had to deal with. On the one hand, you know, they, they needed to protect the Olympic village. On the other hand, they also didn't want to look like they were supporting Israel too much. It, it was a very interesting time. So things started changing dramatically around that time, Ari. Um, and it got worse and worse over time. The Democratic Party at the same time was becoming less and less focused on the Kennedy school of the Democratic Party, this notion of lower taxes and spreading liberty throughout the world, things that we would call conservative today. And then LBJ and, and uh, then, of course, uh, Carter, who had his own sense of you know, what America should be. So it all started falling apart in the mid 
to late uh, 70s, and it became even more so during the 80s when this great man named Ronald Reagan assumed the presidency, got elected president, and he was so pro-Israel. <laughs> so in order to be not Reagan, they had to double down on their anti-Israel approach. You see where I'm going with this? And then the 90s, just like you described, uh, Ari, happened. And it just amplified the division once again between America, uh, Amer between, um, America and Israel. Well, now, between they always, the Democrat Party. The Democratic Party, sorry. Yeah, Democrat Party. And, and they always talk about there's no daylight between um, uh, America and Israel, and, and the Democratic Party says that as well. It's pure lip service. They have no real interest in securing the prosperity of Israel. Uh, they do not believe in Israel at all. They don't, they don't believe in God. <laughs> so why would they believe in somehow the right of return of Jews to this promised land called Israel? It's, it's farcical from, from their standpoint. It's meaningless. And here's a distinction. They don't even believe in distinctions. We've talked about that ad nauseum many times. They don't believe in distinctions. So, But Israel is a distinction, isn't it? Here's this land versus the Arab land. That's a distinction. Here's a democracy versus all the dictator, dictatorships that surround her. That's a distinction. Yeah, here's where everything happened in both versions of the Bible. Right. New and Old Testament. Yep. And there, there's the rest of the world. Yeah, that's, that's exactly... That Bible that the Democrat Party wants everyone to forget. Right. But we, we know that the one thing that's consistent among the, the Democrats... And I guess I should say the left, but I think it's now becoming more and more true even among all Democrats, is the evisceration of standards. So we've talked about this before, the, the distinctions. Gay marriage, polygamy, the transgender nonsense, um, this notion that there's uh, no distinction between um, men, and, men and women and old and young and student and teacher and so forth. The notion that borders should be porous, right? The EU. They want that to be just, you know, anybody can go anywhere. Yeah, one big amoeba or protozoa border. Right. Or a conglomeration of nations that have no distinctions between one germ and the other. Right, yeah. And multiculturalism, right? This yeah. notion. Well, multiculturalism is actually the opposite of it all, but that's another story altogether. But this notion, just let anybody in, and, and illegal immigration is the same as legal immigration, and who are you to not allow that? And So, but, so you believe in that. But on the same, same, at the same breath, you somehow believe that America, so that Israel should have its own independence. It should be unique from the rest of the world. How does that jive? I mean, the, the Israelis every single day have to defend their border, day in and day out, from people who would try to overwhelm the border. They can't do it. I mean, they, they, they can do it, and they do do it successfully. But in the meantime, these Europeans are saying borders don't mean anything. Yeah, I mean, the Israelis can't just open up their border and yeah. say, come on in, be free, we'll right. be whatever. And yeah, Europeans hate, Europeans hate borders, and they hate, they hate nationhood because they think that that's what, what it, what's the cause of all wars, including uh, Hitler's uh, World War II initiation. So, but here, here's Israel that has borders and, and is a nation. So they can't, they can't reconcile the two. So they want Israel to just open up its borders, too. They want it to be overwhelmed with uh, Palestinians and Arabs because, by golly, then everything will be destroyed. And that's the same thing. It's, it's just a death wish that Europe has. So 
Now, bringing it all back together, the Democrats just do not support Israel for this very reason. They've, they've bought the whole European mantra when it comes to Israel, uh, and, and they think that's the wise mantra. They, they, get, they get very upset when you say that the, here's a country that's designed with the idea of having a majority of Jews in it. That's very important to Israel, and that's the definition of Israel. But that, that kind of really st- sticks in their craw. But if they believed in God, if they believed in liberty, if they believed in the Constitution for that matter, they would understand why Israel is so important, but they don't get it now. Does this all make sense? So... Uh, in the meantime, one of the uh, one of the mantras that you're hearing all this time now is that the reason why America has become somewhat hostile, or at least the Democratic, yeah, the Democratic Party, Party yeah. has become hostile to Israel, and even Israel, you know, some some Israelis on the left are recognizing this. Um, the reason why they say is not because of all of what I just said. No, no, no. It's it's because of the policies of Bibi Netanyahu, right, and it's, they're just so offensive that, therefore, the Democrats have decided to go against Israel. Okay. So two things to say about that. First of all— Can I say the first thing about yeah, that? Yeah, please. Go That's ahead. the stupidest thing ever. Okay, now continue. <laughs> all right. Uh, I just thought I'd get that out there. Yeah, for sure. Since everyone's thinking that. Yeah. Well, it is, it is stupid. The, 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 for, First of all, there's no evidence for it, right? right? There's no correlation. So that's pretty easy. Yeah, the, right? the Democrats hated Israel before Bibi was prime yeah. minister. Yeah, so, exactly. uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they, they hated Israel even yeah. when uh, Rabin and uh, Perez was. They, right. they yeah, loved they them later, you know, separately speaking. But as a concept, they, they, didn't, they didn't like Israel. Um, and then when it came, so that's one thing. Then secondly, the, 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 um, the Democrats here don't know Jack about the Middle East. They, they don't know. Right. They don't know what the Likud is. They don't know who, he mentioned, who Netanyahu is. Yeah, they don't know where Israel is on a map. They don't know its yeah. size. They don't know the bordering countries. They, if you take uh, one of those uh, Fox News Channel or whatever um, Infowars uh, microphones to a rally uh, among Democratic liberals and ask them about why they are against Israel, or do you know? Do they support Israel? No, I don't. Why? Uh, because you know she, she you know she has no right to uh, to uh, whatever to to deal with the Palestinians. They should open up their borders. And uh, is it because of that the terrible policies of Rabin? Yeah, Rabin. Yeah, <laughs> they, they would have no idea. They wouldn't say, "What are you talking about?" Rabin is no longer. The, in fact, he's been assassinated a long time ago. No, they they, they have no idea what they're talking about. So you you yeah. are giving not you but but uh, they, 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 they these people who make this argument are giving far more credit to the intelligence. <laughs> Of the average Democrat than they really deserve. So uh, that, that, that's all I have to say on this. Th- this is a very, very big issue. Israel is a huge issue. Israel, you know, is, was the birth of our civilization for both Jews and Christians. And as it turns out, remains in many ways the linchpin of our civilization to this very day. And will continue this way so long as we continue to embrace God. So long as as God is the center of our lives, that's what I have to say about that, and I'm sticking with it. You, you think I have anything to add? Yeah, Dan's straight. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, exactly. Of right. But it's interesting that the Israeli left 
And remember, it's part of the internal body politic dynamics within Israel. Understand, they're trying to convince Israeli voters to vote for the liberal option as if that will bring America's once great Democrat Party back to Israel's side. And, you know, it's, yeah. it's essentially an irrelevancy. And what I find interesting about it is you can always tell um, the state of a party's appeal by what their arguments is and how cogent and how relevant it is. Think about how they have nothing else on the left to sell to the Israeli people. The same way Democrats have no policies to sell to the American people. Right. Other than Trump is a crook, we're going to impeach him. Yeah, okay, but what are you going to do when he leaves? We're going to raise your taxes! <laughs> it's, uh, it's you, you, you don't have hands. anything else? Well, health care, education. Yeah, but I, th- I thought uh, Obama gave us healthier education. Yeah, but you didn't give us enough. Uh, in right. other words, they, they don't have an argument. And, and what was interesting to me, because I wasn't following this, I generally don't listen to leftists other than to find out how they intend to hurt me tomorrow. Right. Um, and so when I stumble upon this fact of the, the general strategy of the Israeli left, I found it interesting how little appeal they have to their voters is about equal to the Average Democrat appealing to uh, voters in Texas. Right. Well, look, and by the way, the Israeli left is, is different than the, the American left. Uh, the, the Israeli left is less crazy than the American left is. I, I can say that with, with, with a good deal. Looks a like great they're trying to make them as crazy. No, well, no, they're not. Uh, but the American embassy, for example, as just as an issue, Israelis are united in this, obviously with a couple of marginal crazies. But... They, they are basically united that this move to Jerusalem was a very good thing, and they're very pleased with it. Uh, Israelis are also united in their sense that Israel needs to defend itself, uh, which is very different than the Americans. Now, that's an obvious one, what I just said, because, frankly, they live in a country that's, that's the size of New Jersey, and they literally can see the border with very hostile enemies uh, that, 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 that would love to you know, pour over and conquer the country with the tunnels and everything else. So, of course, they're going to be supportive of that because they live it, okay? But unlike Americans who don't necessarily live it, and they have all these grandiose ideas of the way the world should be, uh, the utopian visions, if you want. So th- that's, that's their problem. Uh, w- one of the things that now I want to move on to, but it's somewhat related to, is this notion of the blue wave. This uh, In 2018, that there'll be a, a great blue wave. Yeah, I'm still trying to find that, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you'll find it along the same, in the same corridor that you'll find the Russian collusion, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and all the anti-Semitism caused by Trump. You know, I just, that's where you'll find it. Oh, man, it's, it's, it's like the lost and found uh, sort of uh, closet, right, that you find. Anyway, the, this blue wave uh, threat that somehow in 2018 we'll have this. That the, that the Democrats will just surge with this an amazing new uh, weaponized Democratic Party and will take over the, the, the House and the Senate, no less. And, uh, and, and then the impeachment proceedings will begin afresh and what they're against saying, Donald Trump. And what they're saying, at least by inference, is that the impeachment of Trump will happen and then Hillary will finally be president. Yes. I hope you heard me closely. Yeah. As, as if Mike Pence isn't, wouldn't then be president, you know, someone they hate even more. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly <laughs> you know? right. They think, because that's how dumb they are. Oh, then either we can get Hillary. Uh, right. No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> Got a few more steps. Right. Exactly right. 
No, we can go after Hillary without, without an impeachment process. Uh, they have to go after Donald Trump with, only with the impeach, impeachment process, and that's never going never, never gonna to take root. Um, so the blue wave, it's interesting because uh, putting aside the fact that there's no evidence of a blue wave, that there's nothing in the uh, American culture right now uh, that justifies a sense of anger at Donald Trump. Uh, you know, what are they going to be angry about? His tweets? The fact that he doesn't get along with Melania or, you know, that he gives a scowl to her once in a while? That your paycheck has just gotten too big with his tax well, and that, cuts? Yeah, we're turning from the, from the cynical to the reality. <laughs> right. Right. So, uh, you know, there's, you, you, you just can't make the argument that things are bad somehow. You, you don't have to like him. I, I get that. You don't have to believe in his policies. I get that, too. But I'm sorry to say that his policies have led to a fantastic economic boom. We are now seeing incre- uh, 3% growth where we never saw that, not once during the entire Obama administration. We see the unemployment rate going down so dramatically. The stock market is, is doing so well. Um, and all these, uh, these fights with uh, the foreign countries were doing so well in, in relationship to them. And people, as you say, are getting more in their pocketbooks every month. It's, you know, it, you cannot say that these things forebode poorly for Donald Trump and, for that matter, the Republicans in 2018. <laughs> and, and no surprise, their claim that they would have a 12 percent uh, gap between the, you know, the generic ballot, that's what they call it, uh, in favor of the Democrats, uh, has now diminished to, down to three in, in most polls. And I dare say that I don't think that in, in the midterm elections that you'll see a, as dramatic a win as they had hoped for. Yeah, I mean, one thing to know about those polls, who's doing those polls? Ah, yes. Liberal media. That's right. So they're heavily weighted for Democrats. So if it's down to 3%, that's within what they call that, you know, that, that little margin of error thing, you know. Well, it's not just margin of error. So, it's, it's, it's almost certainly a zero, a zero, right. 0% difference. Yeah. So there's no blue wave. Um, not now. Now, there could be something that that is so horrific and the economy goes into such, such a tailspin, I don't know. Okay, but as, as we always say, so long as things continue as they are right now for the next, what is it, six months until November, um, you ain't going to see a blue wave conquer uh, the Senate or the Congress. We are going to maintain the House uh, the Senate is more of a dicey gamble, but I think we're still no, pretty no, good the there. The House is more dicey. Is that right? Democrats I thought it was 23 seats. Democrats are defending 23 seats. Oh, okay. Defending. Okay. The Republicans are defending only eight seats. Got it. And a couple of those are in, you know, like Texas, you know. Okay. So the point is the Democrats have a big problem All in right. the Senate. Okay, that's interesting. The other thing is that in liberal states, the Democrats have overreached and they're pissing off liberal voters with things like, Taxes, regulations, bags on bags and bands on bags and straws, and right. homelessness. Right. The, the, the cultural issues are huge as well. I mean, the transgender issues. The, people are beginning to sense that, gosh, let me get this straight. When Obama was president, and they always blame the president, which is fair enough vis a vis Obama, um, you know, that seemed to be the focus was on black, white race issues all the time, stirring up the pot. And making it seem as, that, as if that was the only issue, it was now, we now realize it was a pure distraction because you don't hear any of those things. These things are still happening. They're just not happening, as it were, right? MSNBC is not covering it anymore because there's too many other things to cover. And then um, you, you've got that and then the transgender issue, like, like somehow we should all 
be in everyone else's bathroom. And, uh, you know, people are sick of that. They, they just, I don't want to focus on that is what they're saying. I want a, a president who is changing things so that we all get more money in our pockets and that we grow to become the, the people we want to be and that we spread liberty and we enjoy freedom. This, this is good stuff. And they just can't fight that. And so uh, it's in my gut that good for today, like I said, there's no way that we're going to see an overwhelming blue wave by any stretch. And I don't think we'll even see a little wave. Well, if anything, I think what's obviously going to happen is Democrats are going to be so disheartened by how much they've been lied to by their elected officials that they're probably just not going to show up. Meanwhile, there's going to be a ton of Republicans out there who are going to be so energized to show up and show the media, hey, screw you. Right. We're done with this. That's right. Exactly right. And uh, also, it's a it's an issue. Remember uh, David Hogg and Emma Gonzalez and the whole Parkland school shooting right. and how it was all the NRA's fault? And now we find out, no, it was Obama's fault. It was the Promise Program's fault. They had yeah. 50 – we used to think it was 35 incidents on Nicholas Cruz. Now we find out it was 53 that right. could have been brought before the police. Yeah. And not one of them was handled. Wow. Not one. Wow, wow. And then – Runcy, the uh, the superintendent of the Broward County School District, has been found to be covering up and not releasing all the records of all the times Cruz could have been disciplined by the state and the county, and they failed to report him. All right, so that's that's. So another, uh, my point issue. is, this this was a major issue. Remember the Parkland shooting, David Hogg, the rally, yeah, yeah. the anti right, that right. was going to motivate young voters to show up at the polls and change this country for the better. Right, yeah. fizzled. Gone, I understand, Russell, but you're assuming... Uh, and in truth, wait, wait. the opposite was true. I understand. We know that in truth, the opposite is true. However, you are forgetting that this is a population that still thinks that what happened in Charlottesville was an expression of Republican nationalism and racism. We know that's not to be true also, right? We also... <clears throat> this is a country that still thinks that Ferguson was a, a horrible situation of a white cop uh, doing terrible things to a, an innocent black young, black young man, right? We know all those things are false, but nevertheless, that's the echo that keeps on going through. <clears throat> um, uh, so I'm with you on what the truth should be, but the problem is that the Democrats are not very well informed. Generally speaking, they're far less informed than Republicans are. If they were informed, they wouldn't be Democrats. We know that. Well, that's but my point. point is their enthusiasm, if... if the the uh, par- promise program was not responsible for Cruz's rampage. Right. Okay. You would have had a chance to capitalize on the momentum of this thing, and it would still be reverberating to this day with enthusiasm. Instead, David Hogg has been the best gun salesman in the country since Barack Obama, <laughs> and the true. best register yeah, of NRA members right. than than anyone you know yeah. since Diane Feinstein. So yeah. you know the point is even when. They hit a uh, a home run on an issue or a cultural event that they're trying to capitalize on. It doesn't last. It's not sticky. Yeah. It doesn't grab the public's imagination. That that thing that you said earlier about that the paycheck and right. the tax cut that's, that's sticky. Yeah, that's sticky. <laughs> no, that's and, and and they they have nothing else. I mean, a great article that uh, came out. I forget. I think it was actually CNN. 
uh, talked about exactly this issue, that they are scrambling to find a message because, well, they don't have a message. <laughs> and, and because in the old days, if, you know, let's say there was a big recession or something, well, then, then that would be the message. And that would be the justification that uh, upon which they can uh, demand all their policies to be implemented. So, for example, uh, just to throw this out, let's say the economy was in the tank for whatever reason, a big recession. They would say, the reason why is that we need a stimulus. We need more government. We need another department of X. Uh, we need to, uh, people are living in fear. That's why we need to control guns. Um, so Healthcare we, for all. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they could rally the country based upon this by saying, here's all of our ideas to improve this economy. Never mind that none of those things would improve the economy, but they would claim it would improve the economy. But without that, you know, it's like it's like you're trying to stuff um, all your old boxes, uh, but, you know, you don't have a garage to put it in, right? You don't have any room to put it in, in fact. It's just kind of lying around uh, amorphously. Right? Like a homeless shanty camp by yes, the freeway. Exactly right. yes. and, and it's just ugly. There's like nothing. What is this, you say? This is just a messy, homeless, you know, shanty. Yeah. And it's, it's ugly. So. <laughs> That's what they have to deal with. Yeah, and which, by the way, is exactly what their policies look like, right. tangibly and physically, uh, exactly. and metaphorically. But have you ever argued, by the way, with somebody um, where you know they're upset with you about something? And, and I know a lot of men are they're saying, and women will be saying, "Yeah, that sounds like my spouse, right?" But okay, so let's say it's your spouse, and he or she is arguing about something you didn't do, and then you explain to them, "Well, here's why um, that's not quite so." It's actually X, not the Y. And you, you, you've shown that that person is wrong about the, uh, the assessment that he or she has made. And then they move right away to something else. They don't deal with it. Oh, okay, now I see it clearly. I've, you know, never mind or anything else. Sorry about that. Sorry to make a big fuss about it. No, they don't do that. They go to another issue altogether. They're constantly, you know, it's like, I don't know, it's, it's like a whack-a-mole. It's constantly moving to a different issue. And you think you're addressing one issue, but out pops another and that's the way it is with the Democrats, right? I mean, the transgender thing, the minimum wage thing. The, you know, now let's let's tax everything to to, to kingdom, kingdom come in Seattle, for example. Yeah, bags and straws and straws and bags. Yeah, and it's homeless headcount taxes. Uh, it's yeah. it, it's just bizarre all the things that they're doing, and they're trying to mandate uh, well the Agenda 21 that we talked about before. Then they then they try to mandate all the recycling associated with that, and the global warming deniers and. Uh, and everyone should go to jail if you don't uh, if you don't uh, acknowledge global warming, and everything seems to just be popping up every time. So you deal with this, like the David Hogg thing that you were just talking about, right? You don't see him in the news anymore, thank God. Yeah, no, they, Michael Avenetti has replaced. Oh, him. I guess so. Yes, that's true. Hey, what a what a wacko. Now, David Hogg. I mean, when I, when I think about him, uh, you know, every time I saw him, I just I wanted to look away. I mean, I, I I was I was concerned that a gust of wind might blow by and and he would fly into the sky, you know, for his own safety. You know, he he's concerned about um, he's concerned about uh, gun control and all that stuff. But I was concerned about wind control for him. I mean, he was uh, he was such a waif. He needed to and, work in a meal. Yeah, perhaps yeah. Need some bacon. I mean, I'm I'm a vegan, but uh, perhaps uh, you know there's there's an opportunity for him to eat a couple of hamburgers, <laughs> so, rather than just soy. Yeah, exactly. Yes. yes. Uh, anyway, uh, it, it's very odd. These these constantly floating and changing issues that the Democrats float you, throw at you reflect a, a mindset that has no core principle anymore. See, they rely. The Dem this is interesting. The Democrats rely entirely on things going poorly and 
and then they then they're there to rescue you, right? So it reminds me of all these people, uh, you know, all these stories where somebody, uh, you know, burns down the village so that the firehouse, the firemen can come save it. You know, that's the idea. And they're, they, they don't have uh, any reason for being no raison d'etre unless they are perceived to be putting out fires and rescuing you, okay? Now, you might say that's the same about the Republicans. No, it's not. Our desire is to keep on improving. We don't create these problems uh, asking somebody to save the day. We just save the day, <laughs> and then we continue to save the day. This is why I love Trump's, by the way, Trump's new um, tagline for the 2020 election is going to be, keep America great, as opposed to what, what it was. I, mean, I guess he won that election already. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, it's, it's, ex, it's a right. perfect It's a perfect, perfect one, right? So, point Make is, America great. Yeah. Hold on. Make America great again was what it because he can't do it again. So he's going to say, keep America great. That's, that's exactly right. right. That's what people want. And, and it's hearkening back to the fact that, hey, you know what? These past four years, by, by the time 2020 rolls around, uh, have been pretty damn great. And uh, you know what? I wouldn't mind keeping it great. Yeah, <laughs> so, I like this. Yeah. And, and by the way, here's the Democrats' new uh, new uh, slogan. 2024, maybe. <laughs> right? Uh, that's right. It's that's the best right. we could do. That's right. <laughs> yeah, but but they, they must have some sort of a chaos uh, or, uh, caused by the economy or whatever. That's the only way they, they will ever win. They cannot win when things are good. Unless they are on the, they're the part of themselves, and then they claim that they're the ones who, who kind of kept things really good. But if there is a, a, a Republican that is in office, it's doing well. There, there's just no chance for them to win that presidency. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I suppose they could argue the other, the, the other uh, way by saying, look, um, you know, things have to be really bad, and then look what happened. Obama won against uh, McCain. Um, but that, that was the, the, the big recession, the Great Recession, as they call it, right? So, of course, he was going to win in that particular point. Um, you could say, I don't know, 19... And I just don't see an example of where, where there was a Republican and it was good times. And then the Democrat won. Just don't know it. But the reverse does happen. Yeah, and, Repo and Democrats win when they have a feckless Republican in office, and they're able to convince the country that things are just so terrible, and that Republican doesn't fight them on it. Right. Like Bush. Like uh, his father, Bush. Right. You know? <laughs> like Ford. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 tough. Yeah, you know, but real conservative Republicans simply don't lose. And in fact, you know the Ari David theorem: uh, Democrats win they convince you, the voter, that they're conservative. Right. And Republicans win when uh, Republicans lose when they fail to be conservative. Right. right? That's yeah. the Ari David well theorem said. of elections. Well, I can prove it right now. There's some guy in some California district named Bob Huff, and currently the DCCC, the Democrat Con uh, Congressional Campaign Committee, is running commercials that go the all over the radio that I know a lot of you have heard that goes huff, huffs, and puffs and promises to cut taxes, but he raises them. He's a tax raiser. They never tell you, well, if you vote for the Democrat, he'll definitely raise taxes. <laughs> exactly. Right? At the end, they say, brought yeah. to you by the DCCC really fast. So you don't connect that the D and the DCCC means the word Democrat, right? Right. So the point is, even Democrats believe in the R.E. David theorem because they themselves follow it. They're portraying Huff as a liberal, and they're not calling themselves liberal. Well, this goes right? back. Yeah, you're absolutely right. This goes back to what we were talking about regarding Israel. So 
the Democrats, again, using the Ari David theorem, which is that uh, they, they, they get along, so they'll get uh, liberal votes and conservative votes to, to lesser extent by pretending to be pro-Israel. They pretend right. that they're pro-Israel, which is a, a conservative position. And then they get that, but they're really not pro-Israel. And once they're in, they act in every way possible to minimize Israel and to make life very difficult for Israel and to jeopardize Israel's existence. This is what they do. Whereas with the, with Republicans like Donald Trump, uh, he actually supports Israel and he says it and he does it. <laughs> Those are so. And then, so, and then, and so, then so they turn around and call him an anti-Semite, right? <laughs> just, yeah. yeah. And how how that that's I love that one, right? How do they get away with this? Like. You know, but you lied before about this, and you lied about that, and, and these people keep on trotting out these lies, and they just hope that you forget about all the lies that they were already caught in before. Remember that time, and, uh, and, and please jump in with me, but remember the time, I'm just going to bring up a couple of them, where they talked about how uh, anti-Semitic Trump was, and, and his election gave rise to this white nationalist movement, right? And it was all over the place. Well, then they found out, of course, that it turned out it was a bunch of liberals pretending to be conservatives who were doing these uh, nationalist, Jew-hating Jew yeah. and, and uh, racist things uh, on, in, in churches and such. And Notre Dame, I think, was one of the, a good example of it. And so that was a big lie. Oops. You know, uh, then, of course, Charlottesville happened, and that ended up to be a big lie as well. But jump in. With yeah, the other Parkland, things. obviously. Oh, yeah, we covered Parkland, it earlier. Parkland, yep. Oh, NRA did it. Eric Fafin did it. Yeah. Anderson Nicholas Cruz saw a gun and he went crazy. Right. No, it was Obama's policies that did that. Right. It, it, Trayvon. He's a little boy. No, no, he's a criminal. Again, right. just like Nicholas Cruz, the school guy handled it, didn't. Well, Big Fer Brown, Ferguson is a good, uh, yeah. maybe the Big best Baby example. Brown, he, he didn't punch a cop. He was gone his way to college. Right. So the, <laughs> you know? the, the lies, that they're caught on the lies. I mean, it's it's yeah, keep well your health care, keep your plan. Well, of course. And yeah. then um, I was going to say another thing with Benghazi. Donald Trump. No, hold on. It's going to be about Donald Trump. I mean, they, they, they know. Oh, yeah. The, the, <laughs> they were caught with their pants down about uh, surveilling um, <laughs> Trump, you know, the Trump's yeah. campaign. And, <laughs> and it was totally fabricated. They invented the dossier. And then, uh, and then we now know that they actually, you know, I, I mean, Hillary Clinton is my favorite one. That's my favorite. Because first she says she has... You know, she's never used a private server, okay, for her personal emails. Well, a couple, yes, maybe, but only for yoga routines and uh, her, her mother's funeral and things like that, okay, and her daughter's Chelsea's wedding. wedding yeah. Yes, but uh, no big whoop. And then, <laughs> and then, as more information comes out, it turns out, well, yeah, she was using it for everything. And then, uh, then it turns out, yeah, you know, she never destroyed anything. Well, she destroyed the server with a hammer, no less. You know, it's really quite, and, and the, the plan was all there. To do so, and then the Benghazi thing, which was a big lie as well. And of course, this one I think falls in that vein. In the 2016 campaign, uh, uh, Trump is saying this system is rigged. This system, and then and Obama goes, oh, you know, our elections are so uh, decentralized. You know, to actually steal one of our elections, you know, would right. be an impossible task. Right. Uh, sure, sure, he stole two elections with right. fake votes, fake contributions. Sure. But our elections are totally secure. No, no. Now it turns out he was rigging the elections in right. favor of Hillary using the FBI and the CIA. Right. Oh, I'm glad those are small, uninfluential entities well, that say, don't say, threaten people's yeah. freedom. To say nothing of the DNC and how they rigged it against <laughs> yeah. Bernie Sanders. Yes. Right. But other than that, they're totally honest. Right. Completely above <laughs> right. board. So anyway, look, this big's the big picture, what we're talking about, Israel and everything else. 
there's just no honesty when it comes to the Democratic Party. It, it's, truth is not a value to the Democratic Party. Truth is a value, and it's a high value, and it's a difficult value to live up to among the Republicans, but we still do it. We aspire to it. The difference is the Democrats don't even aspire to it. They don't even pay lip service to it. They just say whatever they can and hope that they get away with it. So, so what is that similar to, my friends? This is what dictators do. All dictatorships lie, lie, lie with the hope of getting away with it. That's, it's, it's, it's almost definitional. This is what dictators do. So the Republicans, by contrast, they're always held to account, and, and rightfully so. I want to be held to account. I don't want them to lie. Yeah, that's a good thing for politicians. It's good. Yes. And it's good. And, and what I love about being a Republican and being conservative, generally speaking, is that we don't support our liars. You know, if, if, if it were Hillary Clinton, if, if, if she were a Republican or we had a Republican who did exactly what Hillary Clinton did with the emails and the Clinton Foundation, we would, we would cast them out, just like we cast out Richard Nixon. We, we reject him. We don't make ap- apologies for him. We don't excuse him and say that he was still better than most Democrats. No, he was a bad guy. He was a liar, a cheat, and he also, by the way, created many policies that Democrats would love. That's what I was so, going to say. He was a liar, a cheat, and he was he a was, Democrat. He really was a Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> but he did have a Republican after his name, so fair enough. But we reject him. We don't pretend he's a good guy. But, but we embrace our good guys, Ronald Reagan, to a lesser extent, uh, George Bush, the son, but definitely Calvin Coolidge, Calvin Coolidge, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, and, and Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a, it turns out he's a very honest guy. He's a very thorough guy. And you know what? He keeps his promises. He says what he says, and he means what he says. I like that about him. And one more thing, my friends. Uh, everyone who subscribes to this podcast, do me a favor. Turn somebody else on to this podcast. Make them aware of it. Get them jazzed up about it. We need more and more listeners. And get them to subscribe. And yes, exactly right. Get them to subscribe. It's, it's a lot of fun. I think you've enjoyed it. And we will continue to do this for many, many years to come. I'm Barack Lurie. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk with you next week.